welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. So two weeks ago, I spoke about embracing the spirit of a pioneer and that how God had spoken to Joshua to remind him that Moses was dead. Say with me today, Moses is dead. It's a funny thing for God to say to Joshua because he knew that. But we need to be reminded today that, that the old way of doing church is dead. It's finished. It's gone. The problem is that when we're in the midst of transition, it's hard to see when something's dead and something's come alive. We're in the middle. And God has to remind us that what we see before us, even though it's reality, it's actually passing away. And so many of us camp at a mindset of what church is like today. We set our sails by what we've seen in the past. But I want to say to you today that church has changed. And you might say, well, I don't see any signs of church changing. I say, that's okay. Because Elijah sent his servant out seven times to look for rain. He knew it was coming. The servant just couldn't see it. Elijah saw it the first time. And so what pioneers do is like the 10 spies, the 12 spies, 10 were bad, 2 were good. The spies had the ability to go out and see beyond what everybody else was seeing. And I I, I said to you that the spies are pioneers that are able to go into the future and see what the masses can't see because the church or everybody else has commitments to the present. So spies have the ability to leave the present, to go beyond and see what church, the kingdom, looks like. Come back to the crowd and say to them, we are able to change. We are able to take a city. You either will stone me or else you'll celebrate with me. But we are. See, it doesn't take a prophetic person, a person of faith and perception to regurgitate what they see now. Oh, about church. and Yeah, it's all the same. It's because you're not looking with eyes of faith. God calls those things that be not as though they are. God is always drawing us into the future and then causing us to bring the future into the present. So we are a church, a pioneering church. Just the, the, if you are part of this church, you're a pioneer. Okay? You're a pioneer. We are... We are talking about things that be not yet, but they're in the heart of God. And as God sees the beginning and the end, it's all the same to him. And we're about to go through radical shifts and changes. I've been saying that for a number of years. And so some people might say he said it before. But let me tell you something. The way transition works in the kingdom, it can be over a period of time. And it's as real as when transition begins as when transition finishes. So Noah preached for how many years? Thank you. And it was as real as the day he started as the day that the rain came. That was a transition period. And so we hold the tension of what we see and what is reality. So I'm seeing a whole new world for the church. Are you? So they cross the Jordan, and the Jordan rolls all the way back to Adam, 
and all the way forward to the Dead Sea. And the Ark of the Covenant goes before them, 2,000 cubics. And so some people say that it's a picture of where we are today. That 2,000 years since Jesus died is around about now. And so there's a, this is a significant moment in time for the church to come into the promised land. But it also tells us that where we're about to go now, more so than ever before, we need to be led by the Spirit. Because God said to Joshua, you have not been this way before. So if you're going to plan doing church tomorrow like you do today, forget it. Moses is dead. We need to be led by the Spirit. He will show us things to come. Church and the kingdom is going to be so much bigger than what we see now. Are you you getting this here? So they go through the Jordan River and... Three things are regained as they go through the Jordan River because it rolls all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Adam. And all the way forward to the Dead Sea. What was lost with Adam? Three things. He lost his assignment. He lost his provision. And he lost, probably the most important thing was his partnership with God. And when I talk about partnership with God, hear this. When we partner with God, we are invited to come into a space with him where we discover his ever-increasing and different faces. And every face we discover, we not only discover something about him, but we discover something about ourselves. And that's what was lost in the garden. The assignment for our life, provision, and this call to partnership. And all that was rolled back at the Jordan and we entered into the promised land. So I want to take you now forward to Joshua chapter 5, if you've still got your finger there. Because we're going to talk about preparing to enter the promised land. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, when they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, their hearts melted. Did you hear that? The enemy is scared of you. That's the truth. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. And that time the Lord said to Joshua, pull out your pocket knives for yourselves and I want you to go around and circumcise all the sons of Israel. And all the men said on Father's Day. <laughs> now the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. That hard-hearted spirit that's been in the church is finished now. The unbelief is gone. To whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us. A land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been uncircumcised on the way. Verse 8. So it was when he had finished circumcising all the people 
that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Notice that. What was lost in the garden? The assignment, provision and partnership. This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And that day the manna ceased after they'd eaten the produce of the land. There's a new form of provision coming. Verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, there was a man who stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. Joshua is getting a whole new revelation of who God is as his partner. He knew the God of Moses in the wilderness, but he had no idea of the captain of the hosts of the Lord. And without knowing this new dimension, he couldn't enter the promised land. So God's going to restore those three things. It's interesting that all this took place in Gilgal, which is not a specific location. You can't find it on the map. It's more a reference to a place of encounter where God prepares his people for battle. Now, I want you to notice on the screen here that we've got a picture that was discovered by an archaeologist that was a Jew. His name happened to be Adam. And maybe we'll just turn those front lights off. I want you to look at this picture. For he found between the years of 2002 to 2009, five rock wall outlines of a giant right foot. Can you see that? There's a sole in the middle. It's in the shape of a right foot. And there's another picture I think we have that gives you another view from above. This rock formation was made by the Jews. They've traced it back to the same time as Joshua entering into the promised land. They say that this picture, these dimensions about half the size of a football field. So they're large, and there were five of them that they have discovered. And it was a prophetic declaration that as they went into the promised land of Joshua 1.3, that every place that the sole of your foot treads, I am going to give you the land. So as they crossed over into Gilgal, they formed these rock formations as a sign to the enemy that we're coming, and we're going to enforce our assignment, we're going to regain our provision, and we're coming as partners of the captain of the hosts of the Lord. It was a prophetic sign to the enemy. The Bible says, He will bruise your heel and you shall crush his head. It was an enforcement of what took place in the garden. The Bible says that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Shortly, or the word says quickly, he will crush him 
under your feet. And as they entered into the promised land and they prepared themselves for battle, they were making a sign from the very beginning that we are coming after your kingdom. Are you seeing what you should do as you prepare for battle, as you prepare to take your land, that you need to, from the very beginning to set up signs all around you that are indicators that you mean business. A stake in the ground, a prophetic symbol, an act of worship, pouring oil on Jesus' head, whatever it might be. You set up a stake in the ground that says, there will be a marker, not just in my day, but for generations to come, that we mean business and we will take this land. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Yes. What a find. They would soon march around Jericho, walk around Jericho and take Jericho. They would soon come to a place where they, it says, I think in Joshua, I think it's chapter 10 or 12, that they put their feet on the necks of the kings of the Canaanites. And they took the land. It's a restoration of three things. Remember I told you? A rolling away of the reproach of Egypt. And that's all to do with our assignment. It is an invitation to a new day of provision. And also a whole new perspective of who our father is as we partner with him. And this is what they did as they began. So when they came to Gilgal... They circumcised all the men because they wanted to roll away the reproach. If we're going to possess and see our assignment and fulfill our assignment, the first thing that needs to take place is that we make a declaration before the enemy that our reproach has been rolled away. And so they cut off the flesh of all the men. They circumcised them. Notice with me in verse 7, if you've still got your Bibles open. Joshua circumcised their sons. In verse 8, it says, sorry, verse 9, And this day, he said, the Lord said to Joshua, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Reproach means shame, disgrace, humiliation. Their unbelieving hearts in the wilderness had stopped the favor of God. They, there was so much shame and pain attached to Egypt that had never been cut off. And when you're carrying all that baggage, you can't enter into your assignment. So God had to remove things in their lives to prepare them for their assignment. There was a rolling away of mindsets, fleshly reliance, a rolling away of their shame. And that's what God is doing right now. He is cutting away your reliance on the flesh. What's all these trials been about? He is cutting and snipping away every attachment of the flesh. So, and I don't want to be crude, but so when intercourse comes, when new life comes, there will be nothing of the flesh in the seed coming and bringing new birth. It will be all of the spirit. He's cutting it away. He's cutting it away. I want you to notice with me who circumcised them. Who circumcised them? You tell me. It was Joshua. That's a big job. But it's interesting because I'm going to get into unlocking all this. But it's, before I get into that, it's interesting that Joshua did that. Because part of you being set free and coming into your assignment, 
part of that, and this may pain some people listening, either on video or even here today, is that you will need a man or a woman of God to help you unlock your assignment. Genesis 48 said when Jacob was on his deathbed, the sons of Israel came to him. And listen to this, it said, And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on his bed. Have you ever wondered why there's the interchange of Jacob and Israel in Scripture? The sons come to Jacob and they come in humility as you read Genesis 48. And as they come and they honour him, up out of Jacob rises Israel, unlocks their destiny and reveals their assignment. I want to say to you today that when you honour Jacob, you bring forth Israel. When you honour the patriarch, you bring forth, bring out of him the God who prevails. See, a lot of people don't understand this. That, And I, I say this to anyone that comes to our church. In fact, anyone that goes to a church. You ready? And this is not about me. This is about any church you go to. If you don't honour those that speak into your life, you are in the wrong place. Because all you'll get is Jacob. I've been in church, I've been, me, in a church where I, in my heart of hearts, I haven't honoured or respected the leader as a young man. And guess what? All I got from him was Jacob. I never got the guy that prevailed. I never got the Israel. He never was able to see destiny in my life and call out my assignment because I was only relating as a Jacob to him as a Jacob. And therefore, all I got was a Jacob. I never called out the patriarch. I find it amazing that those that honour you, and this, you know, you understand what I'm saying about honour. I, I don't need to, I hope I don't need to set a platform. That I'm not saying you have to be silly, but there's a heart of honour. When you honour someone, it always draws out of them something special. One of my heroes of the faith is Tim Hall, and he was here some of you may know him as an amazing evangelist and was influential in my early years, prophesied, I think, one of the most amazing prophetic words over my life as a young man. When nobody else could see gold, or very few, and I gave them very few reasons to see gold, but he called it out. And there's always been in my heart an amazing honour to this man. I love him. He's like a spiritual father. Even though we don't see each other, there's, some, there's a connection. So whenever he comes, he came to this church and of course he starts prophesying over myself, Karen, all our children. Honour draws out Israel. Why did Joshua circumcise them? Because it was in, incredibly important that it was done by him because he was the one that could unlock their destiny. They said to Joshua, as we have followed Moses... And served him, so now we will follow. Do everything that's in your heart. We are, we are behind you. That was a smart move. Because you will call out things that are greater than that person if you honour them. It's a difficult thing in the Australian church because we have not been brought up to honour one another. But as we do that, we draw out. Is that making sense? Yeah. Cool. So... Verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the, the, the reproach of Egypt from you. 
I want to quickly give you three things about rolling away the reproach and about circumcision that will prepare you for your assignment. So I want you just to take these three things down. Number one, to embrace the assignment for my life, I must fill my mind with his thoughts. It's called circumcised thinking. I'll say that again. To embrace the assignment for my life, I must fill my mind with his thoughts. Here's a question. Is your mindset hostile towards God? Oh, I'm a Christian. I know that. But is your mindset hostile towards God? For the fleshly mind, Romans 6, 8, 6 says, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So here's another question. Do you want to be rescued from God by God or do you want to be transformed? In the middle of your trial, are you like the Israelites in the wilderness crying out for help, 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 help? Or are you saying, God, transform me to cause me to be an overcomer? Do you know there's nowhere in the New Testament where God says to his people, pray to me and I'll deal with the devil. Never says that. He says, you rebuke the devil and he will flee. I've empowered you. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. We're crying for God to do something and he's crying out for us to do something. Your biggest battle is not a power encounter, it's a truth encounter. You shall know the truth and it'll set you free. You have the power to defeat the enemy every time. From the baby Christian to the oldest Christian, you have been given the tools. So I'm asking you, do you want to be rescued or transformed? Your problems cannot be solved with the same mindsets that created them. The same mindset in the wilderness, if you bring that off into the promised land, you won't solve your problems. Some people keep trying to do the same thing, they act the same way, read the scriptures the same way, act the same way and expect to get different results. It ain't going to happen. I talked to you about the mindset of a slave. It's a mindset of scarcity. And small-minded. So God's addressing the way, we, the way we handle money. You know, if we get money in our hands, it just goes straight out. Do we know how to invest our money? Are we acting wisely? Are we thinking big? Are we dreaming? Are we seeing into our future the way God sees? Or are we small-minded? Are we always looking for a handout? Do we want a miracle in our life? Or do we want to become the miracle in our life? It's a new way of thinking. So he's cutting off all the fleshly mindsets that have come from Egypt. And God waits till all the men of war, all the doubters, all the hard-hearted people are dead and buried. And God says, right, now you've got a new opportunity. Now there's a new breed. Now there's young people who are fresh and ready. Cut off all the skin, cut off all the flesh and enter the promised land. And maybe, just maybe... You are that next new generation. Maybe all the old phobies have died off. All the hard-hearted people have croaked it. We buried them. We put up the grave there. And now God's saying, now I can do something with this generation. Let it not be that it has to be the next generation that God is waiting for you to die before he begins. 
circumcised thinking. So I'm going to be practical with you. If your brain, if your mind is screwed up, if it's small, if you're always thinking about what you don't have, if there's poverty, if you look back in your line and there's a trail of disaster, be honest with yourself. Don't kid yourself. Don't lie. Don't be in deception. Look at your life and say, is this a reflection of an overcomer? Do I dress like an overcomer? Think like an overcomer? If not, you need to circumcise your thinking. How do you do that? Well, let me give you a little example. Are you ready? Go and get a book of the Bible. This is really simple. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Now, let me tell you something. How do you learn a new language? You can, you can go to school. I learned Spanish. The reason I picked Spanish is because the teacher was amazingly pretty. There was no other reason. She was a babe. I didn't learn much. Uno, dos, tres. See, all I remember now is siente ser por favor, which is sit down, please. And I probably still don't say it right. But the way to learn a language is not coming once a week and sitting at a class. What they do, if you really want to learn a language, they grab you and they parachute you into Spain. And you sit there with no help. You're on your own. You've got all yourself and you soon learn to acclimatize. You begin to pick up because you have to. You immerse yourself in the culture. He says to Joshua, if you want to be transformed, if you want to be successful, then you're going to have to meditate on the Lord day and night. So you get a book of the Bible and you begin to read it over and over. Don't try and understand it. Just read it. Just, just read it. Holy Spirit will come. So you read it. You can put it on, on CD. You go to Bible Gateway, free audio Bible. You don't even have to buy it. Just go to that website. Bang. Put it on and let it play over and over. And play it 10 times, 20 times, 60, whatever you need to do until you circumcise the way you think. And I guarantee you, if you and I do that, we will be different people. Some of the old thinking is going to be removed. God's going to start, you know, what will happen, the more you think about, a, so I wake up some days, I remember I went camping just recently, and I woke up freezing, but in the morning there was a scripture that I've been meditating, just going through my head. What's that? It's assimilation. You're beginning to become one with the word. You circumcise the way you think. This is preparing you for the promised land. I need to change the way I think. Anybody else? The mind of Christ is an amazing way to think. He wants to enlarge us. So I think big thoughts. I might look silly, but I have to. I have to live out there in his world. Two can't walk together, Amos 3, 3, unless they be in agreement. And God's a big God. So if you take small thoughts and hang out with a big God, you've got a problem. He says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, so upgrade them so we can hang out together. Have you ever hung out with a person that's got small thoughts? I don't mean to be mean, but there's only so much you can handle. I need to be around people that stimulate my mind. Cause me, I walk away thinking, he's got a point. He's seeing things bigger than me. I like that. I'm constantly looking for people that are bigger than me, have more success. I want to know. I want to talk to them. I, I come away invigorated. Is anyone else like that? So it's really important that your friends you hang out with. If those friends aren't part of your future, get new friends. If the future you look at and imagine, you can't see your friends being part of it, get new friends. 
Sounds very cruel, doesn't it? But that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus did that. He chose 12 disciples that he wanted. He loved everybody. But he said, you 12, you think like me, sort of. As much as somebody can. I can do something with you. I can make big men out of you. So don't tell me God's not selective. He loves everyone. But he says, Moses, Abraham, David, John, you're my friends. You think like me. And, you know, we all have the option to enlarge our thoughts and be like him. He's not saying, right, you don't qualify. He's just looking for hunger. He's just looking for someone that says, Lord, enlarge me. That's, that's, that's the precursor. You're in if you say, enlarge me. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Second thing, to discover and embrace my assignment for my life. Have we got the second point there? I must function from a place of rest. It's called a circumcised disposition. Have you ever heard that term before? I made it up. <laughs> you can ask your friends when you go home, have you got a circumcised disposition? <laughs> and then duck. It's a funny term, isn't it? That's the way I think. Do you know the thing about circumcision? It was done on what day? The eighth day. Eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. Aha. Uh -huh. So if God wants to do something new with me, he waits to the eighth day. Why does he do that? He does it for this reason. So every male child experiences at least one day of rest. So you've experienced seven days. So at least one of them is the Sabbath. So he waits for us to fully experience a day of rest and says, now you're ready for a new beginning. It tells me that my disposition to take the promised land has to be a place of rest. Rest is power. Karen talked about my books. The second one I write on, this whole concept of peace in troubled times. Peace is a weapon for taking new ground. The God of peace. The God of who? Peace. Well, what? Crush Satan under your feet. Peace is a weapon. Wherever there's unrest and turmoil in your life, you can't take new ground. You won't have new beginnings because the enemy will have a foothold. So you have to do everything in your power to discover how to function from a place of peace and not turmoil. I hate when my heart's in turmoil. Now, it might last one or two days, but most times I'll get back to a place where inside I'm at rest because I hate being in turmoil. I hate it. I can't function, I can't hear properly. When I'm at peace, God can speak. Remember the story about the, the woman. She's been commanded by God to feed the prophet, but she can't hear because she's in turmoil. So if I want to hear from God about my assignment, if I want to take new ground, I've got to be at rest. If you're trying to hear from God and you're in turmoil, don't bother. I'm not saying you shouldn't hear from God, but I'm saying you need to work out what's causing that unrest. Allow the Holy Spirit to deal with it. Maybe it's forgiveness. Whatever you need to do, come to a place of rest because when I'm at peace, God can speak. Such a key. So he circumcises the people. Psalm 110, you may know this scripture. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I'll make all your enemies your footstool. Do you see the whole connection between the feet and rest, 
You want to exercise authority over the enemy? Then you have to learn to come to a place of rest and peace. Again, in Philippians 1.28 says, Be in no way alarmed by your adversary, your opponents, because it's a sign of destruction for them, but it's a sign of salvation for you. So get this. Every time you refuse to get worked up and stressed, when all hell breaks loose, it's a sign of destruction for the enemy, but victory for you. That foot that they built was a sign to the enemy that they were coming from a place of rest. They were sitting. And when they sat, God says, he's going to make all the enemies their footstool. So that foot, you imagine that foot, there's an imaginary chair there as well. That's how they began. They were saying to the enemy, the battle belongs to the Lord. And no matter how big and hairy you look, we know that we have won. We know that God is able. And there's a peace in my heart. I don't care what the report from the doctor says. I don't care what that looks like. There's a peace in my heart. I wrote about that in my book. The fact that we are in no way alarmed by the devil is a sign that we have authority over him. And authority is the result of God's peace being established in a realm of our lives where previously fear, anxiety and resistance reigned. There is no authority without peace and it's the position of peace in the midst of conflict that overcomes the enemy's plan. So when the enemy pushed your button before and you used to freak out, you know what? This is the time now to allow peace to come. The Prince of Peace. He's perfect peace. And if you do that when the enemy pushes your button, you will confuse him because he's used to pushing and you reacting. He's used to doing that, cutting off a source of supply, and you freak out. Peace, my peace I give, not as the world gives. Not having all your ducks lined up in a row. Then I'll be at peace when all the bills are paid. When everything, no, my peace I give, not as the world gives, do I give. But the peace I give passes all understanding. It will guard your heart and your mind. It's a supernatural peace. And you can have it right now. You just come into the presence of God and say, Jesus, Prince of Peace, fill me now. And all of a sudden, it's a supernatural thing. Anxiety leaves and his presence fills you. And that's a sign of destruction for the devil, but salvation to you. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Isn't that great? And finally, to embrace the assignment for my life. I must follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So I must fill my mind with his thoughts. I must function from a place of rest. And I must follow the leadership of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is where I want you to listen. This is where it gets exciting. This is called circumcised living. Satan's goal is to steal our reward by keeping us in the dark about our assignment and keeping us in bondage through his strongholds. This is how it looks. Hopeless and helpless. Did you hear that? That's his goal. Hopeless, no future, no vision of my assignment, and helpless, stuck in my mess. That's his goal. Hopeless and helpless. That's what he wants for you. When you look at your future... No idea where you're going. So I come to you and say, what's the plan for your life? What does God want to do in your life? You go, I don't know. It is just 
unbelievable to think that God would put somebody in the world and have no direction. If you have no direction for your life, you will always work for somebody that has direction for their life. God wants to give you a hope and a future. He wants to map it out. He says, call unto me and I'll answer you. And I'll show you things you don't know. He says, I will show you things to come. He's mapped it all out. So the Holy Spirit wants you hopeless and helpless, directionless and obsessed with your weakness. But thank God for the Holy Spirit, who is the forgotten member of the Trinity in the church. And the church has thought they could do life. Having begun in the Spirit, Galatians says, now you want to perfect yourself in the flesh. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading me to Jesus. Now I'll, capture, I'll see you at the rapture. That's how we live. It's like, really? You want to do this Christian life without the Holy Spirit? All the best, Jack. Because Jesus couldn't. He couldn't do one miracle. He couldn't do anything without the Holy Spirit. He comes back to the church in case we didn't get the message. He says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, Jerusalem until you're empowered from on high. Don't even begin to think that you could ever Grab a hold of your assignment, discover my purpose for your life, and then fulfill it in your own strength. You are delusional. You need the power and the person of the Holy Ghost. Without him, you can do nothing. Sorry to pop your bottle, but you need to be circumcised in your approach to living. Cut off the flesh. Do you really think that you're that smart? Do you really think you can get out a whiteboard and map out your future? Really? All the best, Jack. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. You're like a little bit of grass that grows up and it's puffed and it's gone. You're planning tomorrow and a year's time? Really? You don't even know if you'll be here. But the Holy Ghost knows tomorrow because he's the creator of tomorrow. He knows where the stock market's going. He knows it all. And he says, come to me and I'll reveal it to you. He's the one that reveals your assignment. Listen, the Holy Spirit was assigned with the sole responsibility of revealing and overseeing God's plan for your life. You can get it no other way. Yes, you can create a plan for your life, but it's wrong without the Holy Ghost. I'm not saying it may not look to work, but you are created to fit a certain way by God. And you can come over and create this and there will always be an, a, a portion of your life that is out of alignment because you're not doing his will. God, why am I here? What do you want me to do? No man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that's within him. What's that tell me? That only the Holy Spirit can reveal to me. See, the Bible says in John 16 that he comes from the side of the Father. And he will testify of the Son and of the sons, I believe. He, comes from, he has heard the mind of the Father. He saw Father creating you even before you were created in your womb. In the mind of God before the womb, God had a plan for your life. He has an assignment for you to fulfill. And Holy Spirit caught that and he comes. And our prayer language begins to unlock. The Bible says when we pray in the Spirit, the Bible says that we are unlocking mysteries in the Spirit. 
Why did Paul know more about the kingdom and about his assignment than anybody else on the planet? Because he says, I pray in tongues more than all of you. And as we pray in the spirit, it engages our spirit with another world. So you've got two choices. You can say, that guy is nuts. But let me ask you this. You're either going to figure out your future in the flesh, either your ideas, your mind, or you're going to come across the Holy Spirit and say, please help. God's plan for me is in the spirit realm. And his spirit lives in me. So when I begin to pray in the spirit, he begins to unlock things to come. All of a sudden, ideas, things open up. It's because I've engaged with Holy Spirit. He says to you today, give me permission to pray through you. We don't even know what to pray. Romans 8 says, I'm like that. I look at my life and uh, sometimes my prayer life begins like this. (laughs) I've got no idea. I don't understand myself. How can I understand the church? I don't know. I've got no clue. Sometimes my prayer starts with a big question mark and then a help. He says, we don't know how to pray in our weaknesses, but the Holy Spirit comes and he searches the hearts, your heart, my heart. And he knows the mind of the Father. And then he comes along and he says, guess what? I'll come and I'll reveal to you the heart of the Father. And then it goes on to say, and all things work together for good. So we don't quote the scripture verse before. To them that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So we begin to get an understanding of his purpose for our life when we pray in the spirit. If you've never been filled with the spirit, you need to ask God. It's a gift for all the church. It's his language. He takes things of the spirit and forms them within us. If you don't know, buy my book. There's a whole chapter on the gift of the spirit, praying in the spirit. Bible says if you open your mouth, if you're born again, his spirit is in you, you just need to release him. But let me say with this, he reveals my assignment, but here we go. That's one thing to know my assignment. I need to be circumcised in, in my whole living approach, but he wants to reveal my assignment, but then he's going to come and remove every stronghold that's stopping me fulfilling my assignment. And here's how it works. Romans 8, 13. I'm going to save you a whole lot of money with shrink bills. And I'm not saying it's bad to see them. But here's my theory. And I could be wrong. But I'm just throwing it out there. There's always the exception to the case. But 9 out of 10 people could receive healing deep in their heart if they would discover the power of the Holy Ghost. Rick Joyner says that if you spend longer, again, there's exceptions to the rule, but the average person, if you spend longer than three hours with your inner healing counsellor, it turns into navel-gazing and falling in love with your problems. See, the Bible never says that you have a cross to, to carry for yourself. The cross that you carry is for other people. A lot of people carry the cross for their own life. You need to carry the cross for others. There's a place to become aware of your pain. But the Bible says we're not transformed by gazing at our problems, but we're transformed by gazing 
at him. And we are transformed from glory to glory. One, what's glory? It's God's opinion over you. Until we are the same image as him. And this is all done by the Spirit. So I take a quick glance at who I am and then a long glance at who he is and what he sees over me. So as I pray in the Spirit, the Bible says that he will light the candle in my heart. The Spirit of the man is the candle of the Lord. He says that nothing can be, if it's hidden, it's going to be revealed. And the, the Spirit of God begins to light every area, every root that's behind the problems in my life. And he brings it up. All those, he says, Jesus says, if you abide in me, I'm going to prune every branch that's not of me. So he begins to show you branches in your life, attitudes, issues, unforgiveness that are hindering you possessing your assignment. So you either don't know your assignment or you're ill-equipped to possess your assignment. It's one or the other or both. So he'll reveal that. But then he'll begin to dismantle every wrong mindset that is hindering you stepping in. So I ask you, why aren't you functioning in your assignment? Two reasons. You don't know it or you're ill-equipped for it. In both cases, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to work in your life and prepare you for your assignment. I can see how many people are excited about this. Romans 8.13 says, If you live according to the flesh, here's a revelation, you will die. But if you live according, so, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you kill all the junk in your life? Well, you know, there's places for help and counsel, and it's all valuable. But at the end of the day, if they don't give you this tip, Romans 8 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, and you put to you will put to death the deeds of the body. You can't fix yourself. Should I say it in English? You can't fix yourself. You've tried and you've made a mess of it. So what do you think somebody else can fix you? You're too confusing for them. But the Holy Ghost knows you inside out. He's able to separate soul and spirit through the word. He's able to reveal to you things you don't even know about yourself. He can go back and say, boom, 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 boom. If you buy the Spirit, you can kill every work of the enemy that's trying to dismantle you, put strongholds that would stop your assignment. I know I'm very simplistic. I've had people come to see me for counselling and they go away sad. I think I need to ask somebody else's opinion. Well, I'm sorry. But you know what? See this book here? This is the greatest counselling manual I've ever seen. The Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. But you don't know how weak I am. Sorry, let some of the weak say, I am strong. You're excluded. No, you see, when you get hold of the word in your heart, when you begin to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, he will, what he does, he, when you pray in the Spirit and fellowship, he will build you up strong enough, edify you, strengthen you, so you're strong enough for him to go, I saw a picture on YouTube this week of a, a guy running around, I think it's New York, with a pair of pliers or something going around and cutting people's, um, what do you call those sticks? Selfie, selfie sticks. <laughs> the selfie stick killer. And a good thing, I say. Too many self-indulgent people. But the Holy Spirit is going to cut your selfie stick. 
when you're strong enough. You pray in the Spirit. Because this is what I, I'm slow to learn, but if you go too soon into people's pain and point out the answer, they bite you. And Holy Spirit's a better counselor than me. And he will build you up, strengthen you. And all of a sudden, when you're feeling bulletproof, you'll say, there's a branch there. There's a bearing there. There's a branch there. I'm looking through a round window, and I'm seeing a teddy bear called unforgiveness. So once my reborn spirit is strong enough, he will strike the root. Why? Because he wants you to fulfill your assignment. He wants the fruit of the spirit activated in your life. He wants you strong because where you're going, the giants are big. And you're going to need to be strengthened by him. And he's going to do the work. He's going to circumcise even the women. He's going to cut away the flesh, spiritually speaking, and do a great work. There's a promised land for each one of us. He's going to give you your assignment. He's going to give you incredible provision. And then he's going to begin to open up new faces. We're going to talk about those in the weeks to come. My time is finished. But let's pray today. I trust that God has spoken to you somewhere in this message on Father's Day. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to cut away all the flesh in our life. Thank you, Lord, that you come and you cut away wrong thinking. You cut away anxiety and stress. And you cut away, Lord, our reliance on the flesh. We say today that we invite you to lead us, to teach us, to train us. I pray for each wonderful person here that they would get such a revelation that they have an assignment. When I wake up in the morning, I know as I look into my future, I am called of God to bring the kingdom. May there be a conviction in their heart. And I pray that you prepare us to take the land. Let us not be like the children of Israel in the promised land that was so full of unbelief and hard-hearted. But Lord, I pray, use us as a church to take this land. We say Melbourne is our promised land. And much more, you've defined the boundaries for our life. And we say, thank you, Father. Thank you that you're such a good Father. You're so attentive. Lord, you help us when we're weak. You believe in us when we don't believe in ourselves. You help us, Lord. And to the day of our last breath, should you tarry, you will constantly be encouraging us and saying, you are well able to take the land. And so we thank you. Our Papa, our Father, you are so good.